Welcome to Clean Break, the weekly life transitions podcast, where we share the stories and experiences of professionals that help families create a new path for themselves. Find all the answers about the many complex questions about transitioning your life through relationship separation, starting a new career, having babies, and many other life transitions. Find out more at mycleanbreak.ca. Here are your hosts, Darren and Tina. Welcome back, everyone, to Clean Break, the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I have a very exciting show today. Uh, my name is Darren Javag, and I'm the host of the show. Tina is not with us again today. She is lollygagging in the sun and enjoying her, her downtime. So uh, she'll be back on very soon. Joining me today, though, we have a very exciting guest, Cindy Stibbard. Uh, Cindy is from Divorce Redefined. She's out on the West Coast. Uh, Cindy is a divorce and separation coach. Uh, she's also a career coach, but today's topic is we're going to be talking about her role as a divorce coach. So welcome aboard, uh, Cindy. How are you? Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to be back. And I'm I'm great on this chilly West Coast day. <laughs> Lots going out on the West Coast these days, eh? Oh, gosh, I know. Tell me about it. Some crazy weather happening. So holidays will be nice to finally have here. Absolutely. So Cindy, why don't you uh, give the listeners a little bit of background on who you are and what, what you do and how you got into it? Absolutely. Um, so yes, my name is Cindy Stibbard and I am a certified divorce coach. Um, I'm a certified divorce specialist through the National Association of Divorce Professionals, and I'm also a chartered career coach. Um, and I'm sure you could probably take a guess as to why I got into this <laughs> in the first place. Um, I went through my own divorce four years ago now, um, which really spawned this career path because I ended up going down that traditional adversarial path that most people do because that's all we know by lawyering up the moment that we decide to get divorced and you tend to head down that rabbit hole of, of, you know, litigation battle that a lot of people fear. And through that process, I really felt like I wasn't getting the support that I needed. I didn't know who to reach out to, you know, who to talk to during this time, you felt so alone. And there's not a whole lot of resources. It's not like you can go to the internet and be like, okay, here are the, the things that you do. I see more now there is that. So what I wanted to do is create that for people, create the kind of support that I needed when I was going through divorce. You know, that really inclusive, hand-holding guidance type of thing that says, hey, it's okay that you're going through this. Let's get you through this together. Because when you're going through such a difficult emotional transition, you're not thinking clearly. And it's so important to have that, that external objective voice, that thinking partner in your life that says, hey, like, let's use my rational brain when yours isn't working. And let's get you focused on your outcome and how we can get you there in the best possible way. So that's really how I got started. And I went and did my certification um, and so, and then also my career coaching, because I was a stay at home mom for 11 years. And when I got divorced, I really had no idea what I was going to do with myself. So spawning into divorce coaching really led me into career coaching because I, I was able to put myself back on the map, so to speak. Right. And, and build up a career that was all of my, on my own. And from there, I felt like I could inspire other people, other women to do the same when the future is so terrifying and uncertain when you're going through divorce, but it could be a, a whole new opportunity for, for a brand new chapter. And that's, uh, that's really what I work to do for others. 
That's so insightful. You know, it's it's very refreshing to hear you speak because I know many times people people do tend to circle, you know, around uh, and around the negativity of of separation and divorce. But you know, we we focus on this on this podcast about transitions, right? And divorce is one transition. Separation; those are probably. Uh, you know, like divorce in itself is probably one of one of the most significant transitions anyone can go through next to death, right? Yeah. Like having a death yeah. in the family. And I, I, I think we are evolving with information and relation, like people are looking more towards relationship-based advice rather than a do-it-yourselfer kind of thing, you know? So people like you, I think are so valuable uh, in the community, just, just to have you as a resource to, to, to tap into for people, Right. Um, and divorce coaching is still relatively new in Canada. You know, it's been around mm-hmm. for a while, I guess, possibly in the U.S., a little longer, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely has been around longer in the U.S. And I think it's changed in terms of what it looks like. Divorce mm-hmm. coaching tends to be part of the collaborative divorce model. But now a lot of divorce coaches are going out on their own because regardless of the path that your divorce ends up, ends up taking, coaching really is important through the whole process. And it can really be customized to whatever the person's going through, whether or not you are just contemplating divorce and you want to know, like, should I or should I not leave my marriage to, okay, here we are, we started the process and I have no idea what I'm doing. How do I know what to do first? To even through the process, I have a lot of people that I work with and they are, you know, through it, but divorce doesn't end. You know, much like you were talking about how, one of the biggest transitions in life is the death of a family member that ends, you know, we're able to have closure on that and we can grieve that process, but divorce, it doesn't, you know, it will continue to go on. And if you have kids together really for the rest of your life, so it doesn't stop at the signing of those papers, you know, that's almost when the challenge truly begins. It's how do I then create these two separate lives, these two separate, um, existences for my for myself my ex-spouse my kids and how do we make sure that this is working for everyone instead of you know just continuing the battle or getting stuck in not knowing how to really to really work in with this new transition so I think divorce is one of those things that coaching is important from the beginning through the process even out the other end um slowly over time, you know, I can see myself moving into the coaching of blended families, because I have been becoming part of a blended family myself and see how that dynamics of that changes, because that's a whole new transition to make after divorce too. So there's a whole spectrum of ways to support people through it. And uh, the more that we can bring to the table and be aware of the different types of support, the more people can do this better, you know, and not feel stuck in this place of overwhelm and stress because they don't know what to do. And that's totally normal. Mm -hmm. So it's our job as coaches to bring that support to people to help get them through their next chapter. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the, one of the challenges is everybody wants to try to help, you know, when you're in a, when you're, when your marriage is ending and, and, and you have a support network around you, your friends and family, they want to try to support you and help you. Right. But the I find some of the challenges is some of their advice might not be the most appropriate, (laughs) you know, and, and, and maybe sometimes causes more conflict or more damage than good. Right. And it's not that it comes Mm -hmm. from a bad place. It's just, these people are trying to protect you and they're not professionals in the industry. So they're giving their two cents, you know, and, and I think that's where a lot of confusion happens 
um, with families that are, like are individuals that are mm-hmm. trying to figure out which way to go is they 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 just they don't know what they don't know they're relying on 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 uh, I'm not going to say educated, but like people who are not trained in the business of divorce and separation. And, and so now they're creating landmines that have yeah. to be, you know, disarmed by lawyers, mediators, divorce coaches, uh, and, uh, people around them. So, uh, you, uh, you brought up, you know, you brought up some great topics there, like blended families. That's like a whole new mm. podcast we could do on yeah. blended families, <laughs> I tell me. But exactly. for today, you know, we're getting close to, the holidays and i know this tends to be a very um a very sensitive topic for a lot of people right because like mm-hmm. like does what do the kids go with one side like with one parent or the other parent you know and and i just want to get a little bit of your take on that because do you find it uh challenging for couples when when the holidays are coming up yes yes so i Holidays are such an important time to keep things as stable and as consistent for your kids as possible. And even if you're just starting out divorce or you've been divorced for a while, you know, the holidays are really all about the kids. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter that you've joined a new family or that you have a new partner. It's time to really focus on what's best for the kids and how to make sure that their experience over the holidays stays as low stress as possible. And sometimes, you know, as we all know, the holidays aren't necessarily low stress. So how do we create this low stress um, experience for the kids? So, you know, I see different stages that people go through, especially when it comes around the holidays. I'm working with a lot of people right now, right before the holidays who are contemplating divorce or even getting prepared for the process and trying to figure out, well, what do we do now with the kids? We haven't officially divorced, but we're definitely in that separation kind of mode. So my biggest piece of advice to families in that situation is table all of your issues for the time being. You know, separation is coming if that's the the route that you're going. Your divorce is still eminent if it's going to happen, but focus during the holidays on what's best for the kids. So I have sort of top my top seven tips for the healthy, low stress co-parenting over the holidays. So first one to me always is to talk to the kids, you know, really make sure that they feel their voice matters. What is it that you guys want to do over the holidays? You know, which events do we typically do as family that you like the best? And based on their feedback, you know, they'll really feel like they've got a sense of agency and that their opinion matters in this process. It also teaches them some early negotiation skills because now they've got to negotiate between two parents, right? I don't know. I think the, I think kids are already born negotiators. <laughs> Fair enough. We could learn from them probably, right? Yeah. <laughs> and although they don't have like full decision-making capacity, I think it's fair to be able to give them a say in terms of what, what tradition they like best. So bringing them into the, the conversation is the first thing. Secondly, is to plan ahead. So if you're looking at holidays, we know it's coming. Make sure that you're really communicating this far before, you know, the week before Christmas with your ex-spouse, making sure that you know what your, what your typical schedule looks like, even if it means that you have to look at your separation agreement. You know, what are our dates? Who has, has kids when? And make sure that you have a clear idea. Kids function best when they aren't in the dark about plans and they have a really clear idea. Hey, when does dad have me? When does mom have me? What are our plans coming up? The third 
tip I would say is be really flexible. You know, your separation agreement could say that you've got the kids for these amount of dates and these amount of dates here, but maybe there's an event that your kids love doing with your co-parents family. Be flexible in terms of how you're going to incorporate this. And that can be hard when the two co-parents are not on good terms, Mm. you know, because we tend to jump to preventing them anytime with the kids out of spite for where we are, you Mm -hmm. know, but if you can be as flexible as possible with what the kids really want to do at the same time as keeping the holiday time as equal as possible, I think that can be really healthy for them. Kids also see that parents can be flexible, which is an important skill to learn. Um, Another tip is to discuss gifts ahead of time with your co-parent. I think a lot of times we, you know, doubling up on gifts can be okay. It can be fun sometimes, but not in terms of really special, important ones. So just have those conversations of here's what I'm thinking of getting the, the kids this year. What are you getting? Just to make sure that you're not, you know, vying for the same iPhone or the same, you know, Nintendo Switch to right. make sure that it's relatively even. Yeah. And, and even if that's a good point with the even part, not only that you don't want to have duplication, but you also want to make sure that you're not trying to buy the affection. Yeah. Right. Yes, Where one totally. person's like, oh yeah, they want that $3,000 gift to, you know, whatever it is. And the other partner maybe can't afford that. Right. Yeah. So is that fair to say that one person who has a little more disposable income can go out and shower the kids with gifts and luxuries right so well yeah that's just it now that was leading into my fifth point is avoid competition and Ah. try to outdo each other you know I think a lot of parents especially the beginning of divorce you want to be able to buy your kids affection there's a lot of guilt that comes along with divorce as we all know so we tend to try to make that make up for it by big extravagant gifts or trips or things that the kids can say well you know, dad or gives me all this and mom only gives me this or vice versa. Yeah. So really try to not outdo each other in that way. It never is a message that you want to send to your, your children anyways. Another tip is if, if at all possible, if you've gotten to the place where you're amicable and, and you've gone, gotten past the divorce, try to see if there are times when you could possibly celebrate together. Maybe there's a tradition that there's a family event gathering that always happens and you can show up together. Maybe there's Christmas concerts happening at school that it's important that both parents show up and be civil and friendly with each other so that the children don't feel like they have to carry this tension with their parents. However, that being said, don't try to show up for the kids in those environments when you're not quite ready. The kids want to make sure that like, if you're not in a healthy place as co-parents and all of a sudden you decide that you're going to have Christmas morning together, all that's going to do to the kids is wait for the shoe to drop, right? Like, oh God, like mom and dad aren't really getting along and they're trying to be here for us, but that's only making them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So make sure if you are showing up together, you do have that sense of being able to be civil and amicable and friendly with each other. And there isn't going to be that tension. And then the last tip really is, you know, take care of yourself. I think with the transition of separating families at Christmas, there are going to be those years when you don't wake up with your children Christmas morning, or you don't have them Christmas Eve. And that can be really lonely and a very sad, empty feeling when that that change has happened. So how can you make sure that you're taking care of yourself through this time? Make sure you make some plans, surround yourself with your friends and your family um, and take care of yourself. You know, 
it's a hard transition for parents because traditionally and stereotypically Christmas is all about family. And now we've, we've separated that for them. So just making sure that you can keep your emotions, you know, at bay and, and uh, take care of yourself through it. I think that's the most important thing. Absolutely. That, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head. I think people, you know, they, they say that uh, over the holidays, it's one of the most stressful times for many people, not just people going through divorce or separation, but just people in general, like sometimes people who are not in a relationship and single find it very hard to be alone, right? Regardless yeah. of a relationship breakdown. And then there's also, you know, there's been a lot of, there's been quite a bit of uh, discussion around uh, mental stress, like stress, mm -hmm. like in, because of COVID and, and people being isolated, you know, uh, people have to, uh, I think it's important for people to recognize the warning signs around them that they are depressed, like there's, there's something wrong, and that they need to speak to somebody, right? Yeah. So yeah, having a network, I think is, is, is very important, very important. So coming in, coming, doubling back on some of the things that you said, do you see any red, any red flags that people should be aware of coming up on the holidays? Like if they're in conversations with their spouse, or even, even if they have an agreement in place, is there things that you would uh, tell people to be careful of or red flags to watch for when they're, when they're dealing with their ex-spouse? Um, I think in terms of, you know, things to watch out for and also both sides, one thing comes to mind is try not to force your kids into having these two equal Christmases. Like let's say Christmas day, you share one family has Christmas morning, one family has Christmas dinner, but you really try to expect your kids to have these huge traditional family meals. Like you're just force feeding, come to this house, we're going to this house and we're, you know, we're separating it. That's a lot of pressure for the kids. So if you can plan ahead with your co-parent and say, I know there's, big events happening Christmas Eve is special to me I know Christmas Day is special to you maybe split it up where you know the big family meal happens Christmas Eve for one house Christmas Day for the next and you're not trying to battle for two Christmas dinners on the same day right you know that can be tricky for kids I see that also over things like Thanksgiving as well you know when you're trying to share the kids between two homes because you already have these other traditions set up in the other homes Mm -hmm. um, and that leads me into thinking, you know, we tend to go into Christmas adhering to everybody else's traditions, like whatever your parents want to do or whatever the extended family wants to do through divorce. It's really important that you start to develop your own traditions with the kids. And that might mean that you are not doing this big, huge Christmas dinner on your years. You guys are going to go to, I don't know, Swiss chalet or do a takeout <laughs> or a pizza and watch a yeah. movie, like whatever it, it really become something special for you and, and special for the kids, mm -hmm. because this is a, ch a chance to really start to establish those traditions. Mm -hmm. um, the red flags I would see is make sure you, you do plan ahead with your, with your ex spouse to see which of the days on the holidays are more special to you and to them, because you don't want to be both competing over Christmas Eve or Christmas night. Um, before the event happens just be really flexible and maybe even your your separation agreement says that you get christmas eve but it's not really that important to you but it is really important to your spouse and the kids like to show up there because maybe all their cousins are there have some flexibility in terms of what you're going to allow your kids to be able to do it's really their christmas too and if a tradition that they love to do is in that other parent's house and it's not really happening 
you know, it's not really that important to you, you know, allow them, allow them that to happen. Um, the other red flag too, is when we talked about the gifts, like just make sure you have those conversations about gifts, maybe setting a budget around how much is going to be spent on each child is, is easier. It's never usually followed. Right. <laughs> it's typically right. one parent that wants to go a little overboard, but at least have those conversations. Um, and another way to ease comfort over the holidays is to help your kids buy gifts for the, your co-parent. It's oftentimes not something that you would like to do. It's not something on your list of, of, of uh, you know, tokens of appreciation that you're thinking of at this point, it might not be in a good place, but it's all about your child celebrating the other parents. And if you can do that and really lead with love and respect for the other parent, you're going to create a much healthier, more settled Christmas environment for your kids. Yeah, that's great. Oh my God, that's great advice. I love the way you put that. Um, what about boundaries? You know, like you're talking, like you are discussing some things about setting the game plan. What about when, when, when the other partner doesn't, doesn't um, respect the, the, the boundaries that you've set? What, what would you say to a client that comes to you and obviously is venting about their frustration of dealing with another partner yeah. that is not, is not respecting the, um, the ground rules or the, or the boundaries? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really hard when you're separating two families. If your co-parenting communication isn't good, there is a lot of boundary crossing because we also don't understand each other's boundaries, nor do you have respect often for your other parents' boundaries. If you find like you're constantly hitting a wall with that parent, you know, you do have to just be firm on which boundaries are the most important to you. You don't need to validate them. You don't need to justify them. You don't need to keep you know, keep um, nailing them in to the other parents saying, hey, like, these are my boundaries, you need to follow them. Just be clear, just be calm. And as long as you're firm on those boundaries, that mm -hmm. co-parent really has no choice. They might try their best to see how bendable, you know, these boundaries are. But as long as you can really show up and be firm, without getting emotional and without getting on the defensive or, or attack, over time that other co-parent will learn how to respect your boundaries but right. it comes with a lot of emotional emotional strength right? right you need to be i do get a lot of uh you know emails email correspondence from my clients who say okay i just got this email from my ex-spouse and it's over the top how do i respond so it's all about in your response and taking mm -hmm. the emotion right out of it and focusing on just the facts really helps to sort of set those boundaries in place instead right. of it becoming this ping pong of you did this, I did, you know, you did this and this is how I feel. This is how I feel. Keep the feelings out of it and just stick to these are the plans. These are the pickup times, you know, end of story. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's really, uh, that's insightful because I know sometimes uh, I'll, I'll hear from partners that, uh, they, they already know what the boundaries are. They already know what the rules of engagement are. And sometimes one partner is using, is stepping over those boundary, uh, bounds, boundaries, sorry, on purpose, because they're trying to elicit a reaction, mm -hmm. right. Uh, from the other partner. And I think it's important for the partner that is being infringed on, like you said, is to try to be as calculating 
and uh, rules-based as possible, just to stick to the wording and and the, and the um, the logic behind what it is you agreed on, and mm-hmm. and realize that you know the other person's just trying to push your button sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, and it doesn't help. And it's almost you know I actually had a conversation with a client one time, and I said, how how would it feel for you uh, if you weren't if you were not emotional about your response? And if you could stick to that through the entire process of them st- st- like trying to trying to push your buttons. And yeah. they said, and she said, he would probably just blow up. <laughs> you know, like he would explode because yeah. he wants the reaction. And I said, exactly. so isn't that more, I mean, not that you're doing it on purpose to try to elicit a, a bit, a, like a larger response from your ex-spouse, but how, mm-hmm. wouldn't that give you some grat- uh, uh, gratification that, uh, that you didn't fall into the trap that you didn't take the bait mm-hmm. and she, and she was like yeah this I think I can do this I just need you know some time to count in my head when he says something or does something count in my head to slow myself down oh and yeah said, 100%. Said, that's a great strategy you know like count to 10 before you respond you know yeah maybe I, I said to one client one time I said you know what um when you're responding in text messages made to your ex-spouse, maybe a good solution would be to think, would you be willing to show that text message to your mom? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? When you're, before you mm-hmm. send it, would, and mm-hmm. what would your mom think? You know what I mean? And my client was like, she said, she said, you're absolutely right. I would never, I would never text something and show something like that to my mom because she yeah. would be like, you know, you need to grow up. You need to be like a, be a better person. You don't want to type that kind of message to someone. Right. Even yeah. though, you know, like it's obviously that there's, there's conflict there, but yeah, but um, I think you're right. It's like most people don't see it when they're in it and yeah. it is all about the pressing of the buttons. And if you can respond in a way that starts to really extinguish that, that emotion, it's going to just help you in the long run. But a lot of times you don't see that you're responding to the emotion. And right. I also uh, always will say, if you're getting that type of heated button pushing email or text from your spouse or your ex-spouse, don't respond because mm-hmm. you are not going to say something that is going to be rational and thought out. You're going to feel heated and you often need, I say to them, you need like 24 hours. Right. Sit on it because that also puts you in your power by by not responding immediately, especially yeah. if there's really nothing to re- directly to respond to. Is there a time in there that you need to pick the kids up? Is there something that you need to respond to like this moment? If not, it's okay to sit on it because I bet you when you come back to it, the way that it sinks in the next time is going to feel a lot different and you're going to feel much more settled to be able to respond in a in a more appropriate way. Yeah, no, I agree. I, that's that's great advice. I know uh, another time a client of mine, the boundary was that that the ex-spouse uh, was coming into the house, like they were picking up the kids and uh, and they would show up 30 minutes early uh, and then just walk into the house like they still live there. Mm-hmm. And that really infuriated the other partner. And mm-hmm. I said, okay, so, and, and what was happening is that they were getting into a fight every single time the person came in, because they would disregard what the person said and just walk into the house without, yeah. without being notified. And I said, you know, there's a simple way, rather than getting into an argument, there's a simple way to solve that, change the locks, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and yeah. I mean, because it's your house, it's not theirs anymore. So, mm-hmm. you know, if they won't respect your, your wishes or your boundaries, then you have to adjust 
you know, you're your operating. life, your operations yeah. for for that. So, yeah, this yeah. is great. Um, let's let's shift gears a little bit here, because I know that we are talking about preparing for the holidays right now, but sometimes people will stay together through the holidays. You know, no one mm. wants to spend the holidays by themselves, or you know, mm -hmm. and 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 statistics show that you know there is quite an influx of of separations and divorce post Christmas, usually January, February, there's this massive spike of, yeah. of people that looking to get divorced. Um, what would you say to someone right now that is looking for permission to separate or get divorced from their partner? Maybe they're thinking to themselves, you know, how do I know if I need to exit this relationship? What would you, what would you say to someone like that? That it's so hard because it's always so individual for everyone. And if you're having that question in yourself, You've obviously been thinking about this for a while. And I, I know I often say, you know, if you're even questioning, how do I know? Yeah. You kind of already do, Ooh, right? <laughs> you do. You, yeah. You're just waiting for the permission as to when. You're not, yeah. you're not, you don't need to know the answer of if. It's yeah. sort of like when and how do I do this? Yeah. And so that can be the hardest piece too, is knowing there is never going to be the perfect time to get separated and divorced. Never. Right. You know, even when the kids are off to college, it's still not the perfect time because they as adults are still going to adjust to it. And now the two of you are going to have to, you know, be independent on your own without your family around. You know, this always, it's never easy, no matter what point you do it. But it's knowing that you feel better about making a decision that you've been contemplating for a long time. Maybe you've gotten to that place where you and your ex, your spouse have done a lot of marriage therapy, it hasn't really worked, or you're up against resistance from your partner who isn't really interested in doing the marriage therapy. So you have to look at your relationship and say, okay, you know, there's two people in this. There's a highly motivated person who wants this to work and is, is contemplating with divorce. And there's a low motivation person who isn't really that interested in, in coming together for the family or making any big changes. So when you look at that, I mean, typically, when you're wanting change and improvement in a marriage, who wins in this process? Is it the high motivation person or the low motivation person? Hmm. It's, it's typically, yeah. And it's typically going to be the low motivation person. Every low motivated person in every relationship dictates how that relationship is going to go. Hmm. So if you're up against a spouse who is not really that willing to come to the table and do the work to change things and make it better because you've been asking or you've been struggling with this for a long time, that will show you that the chances of changing are going to be low. And right. if, if you're okay with that, you know, if you look at your life and be like, well, I know I'm okay with this. And if I'm still here a year from now, am I going to be okay with that? You know, if your answer is yes, all right, it's time to just move on. But if your answer is no, I'm not going to be okay with being here again a year from now. I think you know what you have to do. Wow. That's now it's, powerful that's powerful yeah no that's powerful seriously yeah big good questions sorry carry on you will and now it's just a matter of getting yourself that support to know how do I roll this out because right. all those traditional adversarial battles typically happen when divorce isn't approached in a in a compassionate understanding gentle way at first usually it's the situations where a bomb exploded the marriage, you know, like infidelity or whatever, or you're waiting for the shoe to drop 
so that you can say, I'm out, I'm leaving, this is ridiculous. So it usually ends on a massive explosion. But if you can go in, into your exit strategy, really gently, really open, having those difficult conversations, your chances of setting up which path your divorce takes is far, um, far more, you know, effective and your outcome is going to be more positive. So that as my job as a, as a coach is to try to set them up. Okay, what does that tough conversation look like? Because most people are sitting there fearing the tough conversation. They might not even speak to their ex-spouse anymore. And they're terrified of having that conversation of, I don't think this is working. But how do you approach it so that you are not met with that wall of resistance or you're not met with the, the typical defensiveness or a spouse that isn't, that isn't open to receiving that information? Yeah. So it's it's it takes some time and some strategy and some learning how to approach it and then feeling supported. You know, okay, I know how to do this now. I'm going to just proceed with the steps. I'm going to get myself educated, and uh, that's sort of how it all begins. Yeah, I think that's it's so important. It's so important for people to be heard, right? And mm -hmm. and just have someone to bounce their thoughts off of, right? And I you you put it so eloquent eloquently. Uh, um, on, on how people need to to find someone to to talk to right to to get some advice on it and and so that's why I think uh, coaching divorce coaching is so important nowadays because you know you're not retaining a lawyer mm -hmm. you know you're not mm -hmm. retaining a mediator right off the start the start mm -hmm. you know you're actually and you're not even discussing with a therapist because technically like a divorce coach isn't really they're none of those things but mm -hmm. they're a little bit of all those things. You know what I mean? Is where they're giving a little bit of advice. Maybe you're not legally, you know, giving legal advice, but you're saying, you know, in my experience, this is what I've seen. Mm -hmm. Don't hold me to that. Same thing with the therapy side. You know, you're talking people through, allowing them to be heard and then allowing them to get in connect, like um, in, in connection with what they're feeling, what they're thinking about what they need to do next. Right. So mm -hmm. asking the probing questions. So I really like that. I I'm so impressed that, that there, that field is now available to people and they need to know about it. So it's, it's, yeah. it's great stuff. Great stuff. Um, okay. So I think we covered a lot of things there as far as uh, getting ready. Uh, why don't you share with everybody a little bit about how to get in touch with you, Cindy? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, most commonly, I'm most, my biggest presence is on Instagram at this moment. So it's at Divorce Redefined. That's sort of where I, I do most of my hanging out as well as TikTok. Um, and I think my social media uh, community is really growing. And my whole goal in that way is to show up and try to create this sense of inclusive community for all of those people struggling. Maybe they're struggling with their marriage or the relationship. Maybe they're contemplating divorce or they're just starting the process or they're they've been going through it and they want to know how to co-parent in a better way or they want to get back in another relationship and don't want to make the same mistakes that they've made the first time around mm -hmm. so I really you know work hard to make sure that I'm creating this community where everyone feels like they belong so they can show up um, and feel that they're taking little bits of information that are relevant to them and they can provide feedback and not feel judged and not feel that, you know, they don't belong in this, in this community, even though it says the word divorce, you know, right. <laughs> it's right. all about difficult transitions. It's all about feel, feeling supported, feeling heard and celebrating that we're human and it's okay that we make mistakes and it's okay that we're all at different stages and 
divorce and separation is such a lonely experience. But at, what I've discovered through this process is that you are not alone at all. And being able to find communities like mine, for example, really want to bring people in to feel that they're part of something that is healthy and inspiring so that they can look at their situation and think, you know what, you know, divorce sucks, but it isn't the end of my life. I have this whole brand new chapter that I could springboard and create this as an opportunity to really make something good out of this. You know, yeah. this is your chance. So let's empower each other to do this differently. Because I think if we do this differently and support each other better, hear each other better, our children who are likely to all half of them are going to go through this one day too. Right. We can, they can handle it in a better way and we will be able to support them in a better way too. So Instagram is where I'm at mostly TikTok or uh, my website is divorceredefined.ca. Awesome. And, and you just touched on something there. And um, do you run support groups? I do run a, it's called a a divorce redefined group coaching Academy. Every term I'll run about a 12 to 13 week program, which is a group program geared to support others in that sort of group supportive way, but also I bring in specialists to the group on a biweekly basis so they can get to meet a divorce professional, learn about, you know, what is a co-parenting specialist? What is a mediator? How does that work? Mm-hmm. What is the difference between mediation and, and litigation? Um, and bring in specialists along the way, like also a certified divorce financial analyst is huge as part of the process. How do you know who these people are? What do they offer my process? And when is it important for me to start engaging these people? Because I don't believe that divorce is a, is a one-man show. I really believe that the best way to get through it emotionally and financially as sensibly as possible is to surround yourself with a team of professionals that each specialize in one piece of the divorce pie. You know, and it sounds overwhelming. You think, oh my God, how many people do I need in this process? But I would promise you the more people you bring in, the more supported you're going to feel and the less money you're actually going to spend in the whole overall process. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. We've we've had that conversation because, you know, when you bring in people who have specialties, what you're doing is you're reducing the amount of time that one mm-hmm. person is spending that might be outside of their comfort zone, right? I have a, a, a friend of mine who's a lawyer, family lawyer, and he always says, he says, I'm a very expensive therapist and I'm not very <laughs> <Exactly>. good at it. <laughs> you know, so he says he gives everything away, right? He, he gives away the therapy part because he's like, that's not my thing. And he gives away the financial part to me because he's like, I'm not a numbers guy. You know, I can do the, the, you know, the separation agreement and all the legal part of it, but I don't want to deal with that because it's not my thing. And you, you know, clients shouldn't have to spend $450 an hour to have for me to sit there and put together a net family property statement when, mm-hmm. you know, that's something I could, we could do and shop out. So the truth is, and we've talked about this in the show many times is that, when you bring in a team of specialists around you, you typically spend less uh, time and money and energy on getting to the uh, the finish line, you know, mm-hmm. so it's very, very important. Okay, well, that's, that is great. You know, I tell you, every time I have you on the show, Cindy, you always manage to bring up more topics. And then I sit back and I go, damn, I'm making this while you're talking about future podcasts that we're going to do, right? So that's awesome. wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, oh, thank you. Um, 
I encourage everyone to check out the mycleanbreak.ca website. We have tons of podcasts, blogs, and information um, uh, helping people not only with uh, divorce and separation, but also with life transitions that uh, you know people might feel a little bit blocked on. So thanks again. Have a wonderful mm-hmm. Christmas. Happy New Year. And we'll see you in the New Year, Cindy. Thank you. You as well. It was a pleasure to be here. And for everyone else that's listening, uh, take care of yourselves, take care of the people around you, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic. You've been listening to Clean Break, our weekly podcast on life transitions. You can find more topics like today's and other great advice from life transition professionals at mycleanbreak.ca, where we upload audio, video, and blog content every week. MyCleanBreak.ca has clear and simple advice from trusted local professionals to help you get to the other side of any transition.